0: morning Church. My name is Keith and we will now be reading today's passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 through 21. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is the reading of God's word. well i have the uh, great honor and privilege to be able to introduce our guest speaker for this sunday our guest speaker his name is kaiwin sue he comes from the bay area he grew up in the bay area went to school down in san diego he is currently the lead pastor at grace alameda and he is a a really good friend of mine we met uh, when we were freshmen in college Uh, so we've known each other for quite a while Uh, we got closer as he was ministering and pastoring down in southern california and uh, we started playing golf together and um, unfortunately, we haven't been able to play golf together recently, but hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. But yeah, he's a, a great brother of mine, a great pastor, and we're very privileged to have him. So let's please welcome Pastor Kai. <laughs> <laughs> cut
1: me off. Yeah. Thanks, that is, That's a really long walk way it just takes a long time, so it's kind of, there's that awkward silence. Thanks for having me, Jay, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I have such a, a great love for Jay. Um, again, we kind of ran, we didn't go to the same college, but uh, similar campus ministries, and so knew of each other for a while, connected a couple times. Uh, it's great to know that he has not matured whatsoever in terms of humor. Um, but the reason why that's actually really encouraging for me Uh, One of the things that you'll realize if you go to seminary and you're in ministry for a long time, uh, people begin to take themselves sometimes a little too seriously. Uh, The calling is a very serious calling. Church work is a very serious work, don't get me wrong. But sometimes uh, leaders of churches and pastors in churches begin to actually think that they're important people too when it's about Jesus. And one of the things that I've always loved about the opportunity that I've had to reconnect with Jay over the years, and especially as we both have begun ministering over the past five, six years here in the Bay Area, is that every time we get together, it's like two guys who are back in their college days, (laughs) for better or for worse. And I really appreciate you, brother. So thank you for having me and inviting me today. Thank you, uh, True North, for allowing me to be here and actually allowing Eugene to go and preach at my church, um, because I wouldn't be here if that were the case. Well, uh, I, I know that, I think you guys have been going through a series in First Timothy recently or at some point, but uh, I uh, am, am here today looking at Second Timothy and wanting to uh, take a moment to remember that Paul, it, it's, a, it's a letter in the Bible uh, written by the Apostle Paul. It's his last epistle, it's his last letter before he dies. He's in, a, in, in prison in Rome and he's writing to a beloved, dear friend Timothy, someone who he has co-labored with, someone that he has shed tears, blood, life with, who is now doing ministry in Ephesus, and Paul is writing this letter to encourage him, to remind him to remain steadfast in the midst of all kinds of challenges. Primarily, one of the biggest ones was there were people who were entering into the church and preaching a a false gospel, giving uh, just false teaching and untruths about who Jesus is, uh, what the church should be about, and what, uh, even the, the reputation of Paul and Timothy and, and a lot of other people. And one of the things that you see here is Paul's deep love for Timothy, Paul's deep love for the church, and in essence, the, with this being kind of his last words, what are the things that Timothy uh, needs to be reminded of, needs to know to continue on in ministry, especially since Paul and not only his ministry but his life is kind of sunsetting. He's on the off-ramp of life and he recognizes that. And so what is it that Timothy needs to know, right? It's easy to be forgetful. It's easy to be forgetful uh, in our age where we're constantly distracted, we're constantly being interrupted. We forget car keys, we forget our our smartphones, we forget calendar events. It's just not uncommon for us. If you've seen so many um, little like uh, clips on the internet, where you'll find, uh, and this has actually happened to me before, the guy who's looking around and just looking around, and he's looking for his glasses, and they're sitting on top of his head, right? Or you see the clip of the mom who is holding her baby and panicking because she can't find her child, right? It's it's just one of those things where we're we're in this age where we're always looking because we forget what's what we actually uh, have already, uh, because we're constantly being distracted and constantly being interrupted. Now that's not just with physical things, but I think for a lot of us uh, who've kind of grown up and and spent time in this age, it's a spiritual reality too as well, right? Where we are spiritually interrupted a lot, spiritually uh, distracted all the time. We have short-term memory when it comes to God and God's faithfulness and God's goodness in our lives, the way God is at work. In us, Perhaps most importantly, we forget the gospel itself, the very good news of Jesus Christ, his life for ours, right? That he would give himself up so that we might experience and have new life in him. We forget the cross except for uh, Good Friday. We forget the resurrection except for Easter Sunday. We forget that he rose again and is at the right hand of God right now as we speak, reigning over all things. We forget all of this because we're regularly instead trying to live out of our own meager resources and strength, right? And so what Paul's letter is doing here is distraction and interruption it was not something that we just face because we have smartphones or we all just grow up with shorter attention spans. But it was a problem even for Timothy and problem for people in the first century church. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy not to forget the truth of what he knows and who he is in Christ and as a member of the church. And so we're gonna reflect on this passage in two ways. One is that Paul, uh, his letter to Timothy encourages him to remember what he holds, or remember what you hold, and then secondly, to live out of what you hold. And so that's what we're gonna reflect on too, is to remember what we hold and have in Jesus, and then also to live out of that. What does it mean to live out of what we hold? So remembering what we hold. Paul starts the passage with the, a, a, a verb. He says, to you, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what or how. And in verse 15, he goes on to say that we need to remember what is true, not what is untrue, by rightly handling God's truth. Right, not the truth in our own hearts, not the truth of my feelings or emotions, not the truth of what this person with a, perhaps a great reputation has said, but God's truth in and of itself. The God who created us, the God who knows exactly what is good for you and me, the God who has told us how we are to live. That if we are to be reminded of truth, we need to be engaging his word and centering ourselves on his will, his desires and his commands. Everything that God says that how he wants us to live, what he wants us to do, how he desires to be worshipped, it's all there. There's nothing mysterious or hidden. There's no secret that needs to be accessed with a particular key or particular spiritual power. Nothing about Christianity operates that way because God has laid it out plainly in his word. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, Timothy, it's all there. And be reminded of these things by engaging my truth. One way to think about this is we typically, when you think about as a physical activity with your body or whatever, we typically associate the opposite of activity with what? Inactivity. We assume if you're not active, you're doing nothing right? If you're not in motion or engaged, you're motionless. But I would argue that the opposite, especially when it comes to, we're talking about spiritual activity, is that the opposite of an actively engaged heart is not an inactive heart, it's a reactive heart. It's a reactive heart. And that's an important thing to discern. And the reason why is because that's what Paul is telling Timothy here, that Rather than living out of reactivity, you need to live out of the activity of God's heart, of God's truth at work in your heart. It's why he tells Timothy in verse 14 and 16, look, there are all kinds of quarrels and debates that are arising because of this false teaching that's entering into your church, right? There's all these kinds of things that you're gonna to have to fight and you're gonna to have to deal with, people who are spreading false rumors, people who are saying false things about Jesus. And Paul is in essence saying here, not that he should ignore it, Not that he should not care about it, but in light of some of the things that they have had to actively engage, people who are denying the humanity of Jesus, people who are denying the actual resurrection of Jesus, Paul's saying, don't spend your time reactively responding to heresy or uh, uh, things that are unorthodox, but focus on God's word. Focus on the truth of God. Focus on what is true, what is real, and what is good. Spend less time teaching against what is false, but teach from what is true. Don't teach from reactivity, teach from what is true and active. Another way to think about this then for us, recently about, I'd say what, this is maybe like four or five months ago, we had a bug infestation in our bathroom absolute worst thing you have to deal with. And we're not talking about like a cockroach city where you can see all of them and they're just flying out or whatever. But we're talking about the tiniest mites. And so things that like, the reality is, and this is where I just, I prove how great of a husband I am. Uh, I was lying in bed and my wife is like freaking out. And I'm like, why are you freaking out? It's 11 o'clock. I'm tired. She's like, there's bugs everywhere. I walk over and when I, without my glasses on, I am blind as a bat. I look down, I see little black dots. I'm like, that's just part of the quartz countertop. It's, that's all it is. And she's like, they're moving, right? And so we ended up having these tiny mites that were coming through a light fixture in our wall, crawling all over our towels, toothbrush, bottles, everything. And we brought in an exterminator and he's taking a look at it, he's like, Uh, I haven't really seen this too often, but what's likely is something had gotten into your crawl space, died, the mites were eating its body, and now they had eaten up the body, and now they're looking for something else, and so they're getting into your house. So we're like, cool, uh, can we just get rid of these suckers? And he said, "Uh, the way we deal with this is you just let it go for six weeks. (laughs) Just let them run rampant for six weeks, they die after six weeks. I'm like, cool, can we get rid of these suckers, right? But, uh, so basically we had to, for six weeks, be on uh, just red alert. Anytime we saw a black speck move, you're wiping it, you're killing it. And true to form, six weeks later, it was all done. All gone, none of them were coming through our light fixture. But that doesn't mean it was over, right? It doesn't mean it was over. If you've ever dealt with bug infestation, if you've ever dealt with a water leak, You know that even though it's fixed, it's never really fixed in your brain, right? And so even to this day, months later, every time I walk into the bathroom, I see a black speck on the counter, I freak out. And then I have to stare at it until I realize it's not going anywhere because it literally is part of the counter, right? It's kind of like the way we deal with these things. It's it's rather than now having an active confidence that my house is clean of rodents and insects, I am reactively living out of a fear that the next infestation is coming soon. I'm on a constant edge of anxiety. What does that mean for you spiritually or how does that look like for us, right? There's a lot of people who are... And and, and there's a lot of Christians who are disillusioned and disappointed, for example, with the state of the church today, and rightly so. There are uh, many who struggle with the way in which the church, uh, and I just, I'm saying church with a big C, right? Not just this church or any church in particular. Talking about, as you look at the state of the the church as a whole, how there are churches that have tied their faith uh, strictly to a particular political view, and struggling and having a problem with that. You hear about abuse scandals and false teachers and people using their power in the wrong ways, using privilege in all the wrong ways. And we should be angry at that. And we should have a problem with that and we should respond to those things. Yet, I think you would also understand, if you spend all your time focusing and reacting to only the problems of the church, poison will set in your heart right? Because all you will live out of now is reactivity. And like Paul talks about in verse 17, like gangrene, like mold, it will just creep into your heart. Bitterness and anxiety and anger will just creep into your heart until you're cynical and apathetic and hypercritical of everything and everyone, even those who aren't guilty, those who aren't involved. That's a heart of reactivity that's a heart that's not living out of what it knows it's a heart that doesn't remember what is true and this is what Paul is warning against Timothy and frankly I think that's what we should be warned about today because so much of our culture acts out of reactivity then out of a conviction of what is good and true out of God's truth a life of reactivity to what we think is wrong and forgetting to focus on what is happening in the moment and how do we actively stay rooted. And the way we do that is be strengthened and engaged by God's word. To know and believe that even if things are spinning out of control, God is still in control because his word tells us so. To see that even if those around us mean evil, that God always means good for his people. The promises he even gives us in scripture, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That God doesn't just give up on us and says, figure it out for yourself, but if he's begun something in you, he will bring it to completion. And that gives us a confidence. That means we don't live out of uh, every situation and every single moment, and if it's good, if it's bad, and how do we handle it, but rather a steadfast perseverance of saying, my God is for me and with me in all things. And that way we begin to live remembering Christ who dwells in us by faith and spend less time reacting to a world without Jesus. And so remembering what we hold, remembering what we have in scripture is It's part and parcel of a life of actively engaged in following Jesus and being able to live and deal with a world that doesn't follow Jesus. And so that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of and reminding us of. So what does it look like to live out of Christ at work in you, Christ resting in you? Right? Christ's truth, God's truth in you, and how it can be liberating. I think one of the key ways is, well, and it's asking the question of our second point, how do we live out of what we hold? How do you live out of that? What does it mean in our day-to-day kind of action and life and, and is there something about that that really kind of roots us into something? And Paul gives it to Timothy. He says, to live as if you have God's approval, because he does. Verse 15, there's a freedom in having the approval of God. Paul encouraging Timothy to live out of that. And this gets at the heart of what we believe, of the gospel itself. That we have received God's approval, his just uh, conviction and unwavering love, for us, not because of anything we've done or anything that we're capable of, but we have received an approval from God because of what he has done for us in Jesus. The Gospel tells us that God, uh, because God only sees Christ in us by faith, we can have the confidence that his joy is always set upon us, even when we don't feel joyful about ourselves. That he sees us, God sees us, he sees you, not by your deeds, but by Christ's deeds for you, by the work and life of Christ, perfect in all its ways for you. That God doesn't see you by your failures, but by Jesus's victories for you. And that this is approval that cannot be taken away, it cannot be revoked. Think about, just let that rest and and sit in you, right? Especially if you've struggled with that. If you're someone who has long struggled to feel like you've had meaning, to feel like you've had purpose, to feel like you've been accepted, and God is screaming from the mountaintops, from heaven above, through his word, I love you and I'm here for you, regardless of what you've done. Whatever your story is, trusting in me by faith, I see Jesus in you. How life-changing is it to have that be what is actively engaging you each and every day, that when you wake up, you don't wake up with the love of your spouse or your kids or the hope that your job is going to work out, but you wake up with the love of God resting upon you. How that would be changing everything about how you engage your spouse, your kids, or your job. Verse 19, Paul refers to this Old Testament event when he says to Timothy and encourages Timothy, live out of this approval because in light of all the things you're facing, don't live out of reactivity, but live out of the approval that God has given you, live out of engaging my word because in verse 19, the Lord knows who are his. And it's a phrase that's actually taken from uh, an event in the Exodus. In Numbers 16, if you wanna refer to it later, it's an event in which the, there's a rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron while they're out in the desert wandering. And it's the sons of Korah, this group of people in the Israelite camp who come up and they're just like, I'm tired of wandering. I don't feel like Moses is doing his job. Moses and Aaron, you guys say, God talks to you. We don't believe it because we're not getting anywhere. And these people have for, had forgotten all that God had done in the first place, to bring them out of Egypt, to get them out of the clutches of Pharaoh, uh, splitting the sea and bringing the people through and vanquishing their enemies and feeding them from heaven. And now they were going to complain. And so they set up this showdown and these sons of Korah go to one side and say, God, choose now this day who is gonna lead your people. It's either us or it's Moses or Aaron because we're not gonna follow them anymore. And so they do this contest in essence and say, God, you pick, who are you gonna work through? And God immediately opens up the earth and the, the sons of Korah fall through and they're swallowed up, vanquished, never to be heard from again. And it was a confirmation, right, that God was continuing to lead through the people that he had chosen. And so this phrase, the Lord knows who are his, is a phrase that would be repeated by Israelites generation after generation past the Exodus because it was a reminder that God chooses and sticks with his people. He does not change his mind. He is unwavering and unswerving in his love and his dedication and faithfulness to those that he knows. Fast forward to the New Testament. We think of Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who is leading and guarding and caring for sheep. John 10, 14 and 15, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord knows who are his, and Jesus knows who are his as well. Jesus knows who he is going to the cross for when he says this. Jesus knows who he will allow himself to be the the lamb who was slain for the sacrifice of blood so that who would be forgiven? He knows exactly who would be forgiven. And that's what the gospel is all about. That's what God is assuring Paul and Timothy and us today about that God knows you and is for you and is precisely, and that's precisely because Jesus has laid his life down for you, with you in mind. In Hebrews, that Christ, for the joy set before him, went to the cross and suffered all things. That joy wasn't like, yeah, party time, I'm gonna be crucified. It's you are the joy, the joy of gathering a people that he has in mind and he knows by name. You are the joy that was set before Christ as he went to the cross for you and for me. That is the approval we get to live out of. That is the the heft and weight and beauty of the approval that Paul is saying live out of that approval every single day. As you face your enemies, as you face people who are spreading gossip and slandering your name, slandering the name of Jesus, don't sweat these things but instead live actively out of what is true and what you hold by faith in christ and that is the promise he is giving to you today that by faith you have the approval of god And in a time where we're worried about our likes on Instagram pages or TikToks, if you, at a time where mental, even our mental health, where we're worried about not liking what we see when we look in the mirror in the morning, God is saying to you, I approve of you and I love you because I love my son who gave his life for you and had you in mind when he died. That means you don't have to live a life of reactivity, but it's a life of beholding what you hold and living out of what is at work and inside of you. There is incredible liberation and joy that is set before you that is yours to have. Paul, Paul, and, and this is where the passage, he just goes, this is where it's like, man, this guy knows how to write theology and love and care. He's taking this idea of like, this is what is in you, Timothy. And let me like, underline this even more. Verse 20 and 21, he takes this analogy of vessels being made of different materials. And he talks about your vessel, there's vessels of gold and silver, and there's vessels of wood and clay, right? And in their day, in the first century uh, period, vessels of gold and silver would be vessels that were used for nice meals. They would put water in them. They were vessels that had value, right? because of what they were made out of and also how they were used. Meanwhile, the wood and clay vessels would be the ones used for trash or for excrement, right? In the same way that even today, if you had a bowl of fine china, you're not gonna toss generally trash in there, you're gonna put the food you present to your guests in there, right? It's the trash can in which you put your trash in. And Paul says in verses 20 and 21, that regardless of what material, whether gold, silver, clay, or wood, regardless of the material that is used to make a vessel, the true glory and the true value comes from what's inside of it and how it is used. If it holds something of great value and worth, then it doesn't matter what it's made from or what it looks like. It doesn't matter how others value it, because it only matters to the master of the house who has decided to place within it whatever he wants to place within it. And that's what Paul's kind of emphasized in Timothy, and again, saying to us, regardless of what you even think of yourself, and even more so of what others might think of you, the value that you tell yourself you have, or the world tells you you have, or your paycheck tells you you have, or your relationship status tells you you have. What matters is what God has said about you and also what God has put in you, Jesus, his spirit, he's chosen regardless of that. Some of us see ourselves as figures of gold, not this one for sure, right? But some of us see ourselves as gold some of us see ourselves as clay what matters is not what we're made of or how we see ourselves but what god has put in us in christ whatever story you might have if by faith christ is in you you have been set apart by god for his glory and his purposes paul describes this in 2 corinthians 4 7, 10 in a different way same spirit here but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So to just kind of wrap this up and bring this home for us. Friends, following Jesus isn't about trying to fill yourself up with good feelings or good deeds or even avoiding bad things. Christianity is not karma. It's not about making sure that you know enough. It's not about making sure that you behave enough. Friends, it's not even about whether you believe enough. Because the size of your faith makes no difference. It's who is in you that matters and who you believe in. Following Jesus is about beholding what you hold. Rejoicing and delighting in what God in his wisdom and love has placed inside you by his grace, his very son, by the spirit. And so no matter how unfit a vessel you might see yourself, God delights in placing his glory in you. Friends, following Jesus means worship and rejoicing in what you already have, not what you don't have yet, but what you have already in him. It's about hungering and thirsting and asking God, pour me more, fill me up more. And by faith, you can ask that today. You can cry out to God and say, God, fill me up with Jesus more and more. I may be unfit, but I know you love me. I know you approve of me, and I want more of Jesus. And I pray that that's your prayer today. I pray that that's a prayer for this church, that God would fill this church up with Jesus so that you might overflow for Palo Alto and the South Bay and the whole Bay Area. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who just never runs out. You're the God who abounds. You're the God who is uh, who isn't cheap. And, and so we rejoice in that. And we rejoice and give thanks to you that, uh, you, that you allow us to live out of grace and not out of work, that we are those who have received your approval not for what we've done, but because of, of what Christ has done for us. Father, help us to live actively engaging that which we hold as vessels of your beauty, glory, and holiness in Jesus. Help us not to see what we don't have or what we lack, but help us to hold and live out of what we do have in Christ. Be with true north and bless this church as they all desire and long to live in this way. To glory, all glory unto your name. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.